Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Some things can be up for debate. Like whether cats or dogs are better. Or if fries are tastier with ketchup or mayonnaise. Those are preferences based on individual values and likes. But when a pandemic like COVID-19 is threatening global safety, well, there's really no time for argument. This week, we're talking about something for which there should be no controversy. Masks. We're going to put an end to any of the concerns you might have heard by learning how medical and surgical masks work. We'll also find out how well homemade masks stop viral spread. And whether that old undershirt in your bottom drawer might be the thing you need to keep you safe from infection. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and it's time to mask up for science. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. I bet before this year, if I had brought up masks, you would have thought I was talking about a great Halloween costume. Or that you had somehow stumbled onto a story about a galaxy far, far away. But thanks to COVID-19, that vision has been changed, possibly forever. Instead of space battles, we're all getting used to looking like characters from Mortal Kombat, or if you're really into PPE, the game Among Us. Although it may seem odd to us here in Canada, we're just catching up with some parts of the world where masks were already part of everyday life thanks to other respiratory threats, such as air pollution and pollen. They too, like viruses, need to be filtered out. Since wearing a mask daily is so new to us, there has been confusion and concern regarding their use, their effectiveness, and their downsides, such as breathability. And that's just for the medical masks. Then there's the addition of homemade masks, which are new not just to us, but also the research community. And this has added a new layer of potential confusion to users looking to stay safe during this global pandemic. Thankfully, we have with us one of the first researchers to study both medical and homemade masks. He is M. Tahir Saif, and he is the Edward William and J. Mar Gutzel Professor at the Granger College of Engineering at the University of Illinois. Unlike many people who focus primarily on the virus, like myself, Tahir Saif focuses on the chemistry and the mechanics of spread. In other words, he gets down to the molecular level. And what he's found may end up changing the way we view masks forever. What is the purpose of a mask? Yeah, the main purpose of the mask is to prevent the dissemination of the disease from an infected individual to a healthy individual. So an infected individual, when they uh, talk, sneeze, or cough, a lot of droplets come out, and those droplets carry the virus particles. And they are hanging in the air for some time, and they can be inhaled by an individual who is healthy, 
and they get infected. So if we wear a mask, then the dissemination of the droplets significantly gets reduced. And that's primary reason of wearing the mask. That's what is known as source control. So you control at the source, you prevent at the source, and hence you reduce the dissemination. For coronavirus, there are a lot of people who are asymptomatic. About five to 10 times more people are asymptomatic than those who show symptoms, meaning coughing and fever and, and feeling, feeling bad. So those who are asymptomatic, they don't even know that they have the disease, but they may spread it all over. So the reason for using the mask for everybody is primarily for those who don't know that they are sick, but they're perfectly uh, well enough to, to spread the disease. So all, everybody should wear a mask to control the disease progression from the source. Now, if somebody is not sick, not asymptomatic, but not sick also, reduces the risk of being infected by putting a blockage in front of the nose or the mouth uh, from getting the droplets from inhaling. And there have been fairly detailed studies that showed that individuals wearing the mask and coughing and sneezing and talking reduce the availability of the virus where they were collected in front of the mask. So particularly for coronavirus, the, there's a significant drop of the collection of the virus when somebody's using a mask. And there, this was published in Nature Medicine not too long ago. Your expertise is at that nanoscale, which is really cool. So take us into that environment and explain how we can test a mask to find out how it keeps us protected. Yeah, so you may recall that CDC came up with the recommendation of using home cloth for uh, our home face covering. And the reason was that there was not enough commercially available masks, let's say in 95 or 95 N95 uh, respirators. They, were, they should have been reserved for the healthcare professionals. So the question was, would those home cloth help at all uh, in contrast to a more fabricated commercially available mask? So that was our question. But then we needed to find out you know, how a high-speed droplet that is released during coughing, even talking, we don't even realize that their speed could be like 10 meters per second. That's pretty high speed. So these tiny droplets, tiny in the sense that they are millimeter, submillimeter droplets, they hit upon a, a cloth fabric, uh, and would the cloth fabric be able to block them? That was the question. It was not known. There was we couldn't find a single publication which says that what is the effect of the droplet hitting like a bullet, carrying hundreds of these virus particles. So of course we. We don't have the virus particles. It's not allowed to study virus particles in a droplet. So instead, we used nanoparticles, which are same size as the virus particles. They're 100 nanometers in diameter, but they glow. So we can identify one by one of them. So we put a droplet in an inhaler with the nanoparticles that glow, and then we eject, use the inhaler, and it turns out that the inhaler releases those droplets with very similar speed, similar size scale, as that of the coughing, sneezing, and talking. So we sort of reproduced the phenomena of coughing, sneezing, and talking, and put the cloth masks, like with one layer first, and then two layer, and then three layer, and we saw how much of those nanoparticles get blocked. And we were really surprised. So we were imaging them with 
10,000 frames per second so that we can see exactly how the droplet lands on those one, two, or three layer of cloth and how many of those nanoparticles can go through. And at that nano level, what is the difference between the two? Yeah, so this is a very good question. So the commercial masks, uh, the type of product that you get is first non-degradable, non-biodegradable. Second, uh, the, the pore size, if you will, at the nanoscale, the pore size is very, very small. Uh, so they're also hydrophobic. So in other words, they're like lotus flowers, lotus leaves, where if you put a droplet, the droplet remains like a sphere. And if you tilt it, the droplet runs down. So these are hydrophobic material. Water does not like them. So uh, on the other hand, if you like, look at a, um, a home cloth, woven material, the pore size is bigger. Even in the microscope, in high-resolution microscope, you can see the pores, and they're hydrophilic. They soak water, our everyday experience, and they're biodegradable. So the biodegradability is an, is, is an asset because then uh, you are not dumping things in the environment. Second, they are washable, so you can wash them every day and reuse it every day. So that's the main difference between the commercial mask, let's say the surgical mask or medical mask, and your home cloth. Uh, the key difference is hydrophilic, they soak water, the home cloth. The, the other one, commercial one, they don't soak water. One is biodegradable, home cloth is uh, biodegradable, the commercial one is not biodegradable. So it's a huge cost on the environment as well. But we have heard time and time again that the non-woven varieties, the N95 and the surgical mask, are always better. And I, I guess I can understand because when you look at those under the electron microscope, it does look like there are 250 or more layers or threads compared to literally only one with a cloth. I imagine that's what's leading to those smaller pores. But I wonder, is that why these masks are considered to be so much better than cloth masks and, as a result, need to be kept for higher-risk environments like being in healthcare? Yes, of course, they, are, they have. So if, you, if we look at just the N95 or the surgical mask, actually they have three layers, the common surgical mask or the medical masks, and three very fine layers, and each fine layer has very, very small pores. Uh, it, it's very difficult even to find the pores under, um, uh, under large magnification. Whereas, as you said, cloth have much bigger pores. So, yes, they have a very high efficiency of blocking the droplets, the surgical mask or, uh, or the medical mask, compared to one layer of, let's say, T-shirt cloth. So they are good, no question about it. If they're all available and we can all use them, that would be one choice. But I have to say that there is another component of use, in using a mask, and we now all have experienced this, and that is how easily can we breathe through the mask. So if we take a mask that is very good in blocking the droplets, but offers less breathability, I cannot breathe through that easily, then it turns out that a good part of the air that we inhale or exhale actually go to the side of the mask. And you know that if you use sun, uh, glasses, then the glasses become fogged. And precisely because a good part of the air is actually going through the, to the space between the mask and the nose. So it gives you a false sense of protection if you have a very high quality material, but it is less breathable. 
because you know we have to breathe and air will find a way to get out so it turns out that surgical masks and medical masks are very good but they also have limited breathability and because we are not using the respirators which ensures that you have this very high high quality seal and you have to be trained to use them through the seal test and fit test so they are obviously not for common people but if you have a mask that has gone through the fill this fit test and seal test sealing means nothing really goes through the space between the mouth uh, face and the mask everything goes to the filter everything goes to the mask then you ensure the real efficiency of the mask but if you just use a regular surgical mask which is not perfectly fit to the face uh, a good part of the air goes between the uh, between the face and the mask then even though the mask is high quality material in terms of blocking the droplets you have partly false sense of protection if let's say if 20% of the air goes to the to the space then 20% of the droplets actually leave that way or get in that way whereas the mask material itself might be efficient as 96% 97% so one could think that i'm using a mask that is 97% efficient in blocking but really i'm allowing 20% directly to the mouth uh, to the space and that's a very important parameter that we often tend to overlook because the material may be very good but if we could have imagine if you could have a material that is highly breathable as if like we don't feel like we have wearing a mask but it's also very efficient in blocking the droplets that'll be ideal but surgical mask does not provide that easy breathability as you know and we have measured very very quantitatively what is the breathability of the surgical mask and home home cloths of course home cloths give much higher breathability than the surgical mask uh, but then you are beginning to think about you know if i put two layers or three layers am i reaching an efficiency level as the surgical mask while maintaining the breathability or maybe a compromise between these two parameters it seems like the number of layers is a major consideration when it comes to choosing a mask which makes me wonder about clogging could having that higher number of layers and layers within layers like an N95 under the electron microscope increase the chances for clogging by dirt oil from the skin, other biological debris, and even air pollution? And if so, when you're looking at layers, perhaps it's not knowing about how many are there, but how you can take care of them so you have the best protection at all times. That's right. That's right. I mean, for us, uh, from the user's point of view, so my whole, you know, three months of extensive work, we basically looked at from a user's point of view. So how, how easy would it be to... flow air through surgical mask or cloth or whatever it is under a given pressure differential right so let's say as you said there are this this surgical mask materials is like highly controlled and there are many many fibers that that have been sort of pressed together to make a single layer and then you put three of those layers but each layer is highly complex uh, and hence you get very little very small pores from the user's point of view i look at how easy it is to breathe through and then the question of course is how good is it how how much will it protect me from being infected or from spreading the infection so no question that with this 
highly engineered material and each layer being consisting of, you know, who knows how many layers of fiber that they pack in with the possibility of further jamming because of the pores itself are so small. And hence, the visibility may even go down from the beginning of wearing to the, towards the end of the day. So you are giving up the breathability more and more as time progresses. That's a possibility. We have not tested that. In other words, we did not test the surgical mask after wearing for, let's say, five hours or eight hours and so on. But what I want to emphasize is if we, if we just think about the efficiency of blocking, then we just cannot forget about the breathability. I think this is a very important point that you raise, that discomfort in wearing the mask would automatically turn people off from wearing the mask. That's one thing. And then uh, could there be a choice where I can breathe easily and still I, ha- I can have high degree of efficiency? I mean, what's the difference between 94% efficiency versus 97% efficiency? Either way, we have so many other variables. We don't have much control of how we are putting the mask, right? Sometimes mask is a bit loose, so I may be losing more air to the side versus to the to the filter, to the mask itself. So we may have 20% variability just in using the mask. Staying with clogging, what about water? After all, our breath is humid, and as we all know, our mouths and nose are wet on the inside. Does water reduce the effectiveness of a mask by essentially clogging it in a different manner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the surgical mask material is hydrophobic. So they repel water. So it's like the lotus leaves. Uh, even if you had pores in the lotus leaves, the water would not get into the pores. They would be always on, on the top and they would, they, would, they would tend to drop off if the size is big enough. Um, so the possibility of clogging the small pores from the breathing itself, uh, having hydrophobicity added to this property or waxy property, if you if you like, that possibility is less. That's from just from the interfacial energy point of view, uh, that would be less. But you know, you could also form other things that may clog. Maybe layers of oil that 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 come out. I I understand your point. There may be other sources that could make it less breathable. Uh, that's a, from the user's point of view. That's all that matters. The more the pores get clogged, the less breathable it becomes less comfortable it is to use. But worse is more air then begins to go to the sides. The cloth mask is just the opposite material because they're hydrophilic in contrast to hydrophobic. They love water. We use towels to, to, to wipe us up. So they absorb the water. So for them, if the more we use it, the pores that they have would get blocked, would get clogged. No question about it. But at the same time, they start with a lot of pores, much bigger openings. You can see through them uh, if you put into the in a good microscope. Uh, so when you just take one layer of cloth versus one, one surgical mask with multiple layers, no comparison. Surgical mask would beat by, you know, by a huge margin. Uh, the cloth mask would absorb the water. It's going to be a lot more breathable. It's not going to be efficient nearly as much as the surgical mask. When you think about the different type of fabrics in your home, you probably have a wide variety, ranging from shirts to scarves to sponges. 
Prior to this year, the idea of using any of these as a potential mask might have appeared to be foolhardy at best. After all, can a single layer of fabric protect you against something you can't see, like a virus? Yet as the supply of medical and surgical masks dwindled because of the pandemic, homemade options were recommended by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC for short. After all, when it comes to COVID-19, some protection is better than none. Now, thanks to Tahir Saif's experiments, homemade masks are proven to work. We're going to put a link in the show notes to his scientific paper, and I really recommend you read it. It's great research, and I have to be honest here, the videos that show how masks actually protect us are awesome. Tell us about your study and why you did it in the first place. Yeah, so if you remember, towards the end of, middle of March, uh, when things were becoming worse and worse, we were told that uh, the mask doesn't help. We don't need masks. Masks should be reserved for the healthcare professionals. Um, and as an engineer, I thought, how is this possible that masks wouldn't help? Because, you know, we, we see people sneezing, coughing, talking, and we know this is an airborne disease. Um, this is a, a respiratory disease. Um, Airborne or not, that's another issue, but it's respiratory disease. So somebody's infected, releases something, gets and picked up by somebody else. So masks should have helped. So at that point, we I called up CDC and I asked them, you know, what's what's the deal? Why aren't you talking about masks and usage of masks? And then they sort of started to guide us. They said, you know, let's carry out some experiments. And that's what got us into what, what about using this home type of cloth, anything. What were your protocols based on the advice that you received from the CDC? So all the studies that had been uh, for the last, who knows, 30, 40 years, is basically one type I can describe to you in in five seconds. You take a tube, you put a cloth on top of the tube, you apply a pressure between the two sides of the tube, inside and outside the tube, and you flow air that is carrying small dry particles of the order of tens of nanometers to microns in size. So this air is blowing through the cloth under pressure and you count the particles before it hits the cloth and after it hits the cloth. And N95 comes by counting the percentage of 300 and above size particles that are captured by the cloth. In 95% of those nanoparticles or 10 nanometer particles must be captured to make it a N95 mask fabric. That's the bottom line. That's the studies all along. When COVID hit, we didn't have a study which says what would happen if these nanoparticles are not sitting or floating in air, but they are carried by big droplets that are released by the patient. So it's a different problem. So it's not being carried by dry air, like an aerosol, as you have heard many, many times. CDC and World Health, they both said it is droplets, not so much the aerosol. Now these COVID particles, 100 nanometers or so, are being carried by these droplets. And now the question is, I don't know how a home cloth can help us in stopping these droplets. In particular, would this be as good as the studies that had been happening using dry particles in air. 
So that was not known at that time. I'm talking about early March or so, or mid-March. So we thought, well, we could just generate these droplets and see what happens when, when we put a cloth barrier in front. So that was the reason why we, we had to, to sort of build a whole infrastructure to ask this question that when a mass cloth or fabric is challenged by a high-speed droplet carrying nanoparticles or carrying the virus particles, not instead of those particles are being carried by air. So now the droplets are moving through the air, carrying the particles, not the air themselves. So that was not known. And that was the reason for this study. And you did a number of different types of samples. T-shirts, undershirts, bedsheets, quilts, dishcloths. There were cotton, polyester mixes, silk. Some were new and some were used, and I still cannot explain why you would have tested a used undershirt, but whatever. When you did all of this testing, what did you learn from the results? You know, uh, the most interesting part was that when we used a single layer of all of these cloths, it turned out that most of them are pretty good. And what do, what do we mean by pretty good is if we are releasing, let's say, a million particles, sizes from one millimeter to below, uh, some small, some large, coming at high speed, and each one is carrying hundreds of thousands of particles, uh, that would be like mimicking the virus particles. It turned out that most of the cloth, in, even in single layers, are pretty good, meaning at least 50% or so are being captured. There's 50% go through. In fact, majority of them were capturing on the order of 70 to 80%. But of course, 40%, 50% blocking efficiency is not good at all. So to answer your question, it turns out that if you put the second layer, efficiency shoots up crazy. And we, it puzzled us a lot because initially we thought that, well, if I take a single layer T-shirt and if it lets only 50% to go through, if I put the second layer, it should block the 50% of the 50%, so that would make it 75% uh, efficient. In other words, it would block uh, about 75% of the particles and 20% go through. It doesn't happen this way. It turns out that with the second layer, the efficiency shoots up and only about 5-6% of the particles can go through. And the simple reason is that the first layer even though it lets, let's say, 50% to go through. In fact, it does better than that. But let's say for the simplicity of our discussion, 50% is blocked. What it does is it not only blocks the 50%, but it reduces the incoming velocity of the droplets. So the ones that are leaving, the droplets that are breaking apart and leaving the first layer, now has much less velocity, much less momentum. So the second layer is not challenged as much. So when it hits the second layer, it becomes it is much easier for the second layer to block a large majority of it. So the two layer together gives you a very high efficiency on the order of 94-95%. And that was the most surprising uh, sort of a discovery. And when we look at it this with high speed camera, 10,000 frames per second, you begin to realize that it's the energy transfer that is happening between the first layer. It's like a first line of defense. So you are receiving the bullets, coming with high speed, high momentum. Some of the bullets actually going through your barrier, let's say a, a wooden barrier. But the ones that are going through 
don't have that much momentum left. So the second layer that is coming right after that is not challenged as much. So with the two layer, your efficiency significantly increases. And, uh, you know, and then if you use a cloth that was blocking by 80% with single layer, of course its efficiency approaches nearly 99% with the second layer. And that's when we started to think about what about breathability, what about comfort level? Can we think of uh, a T-shirt that I have used for five years, washed hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times in five years, would this be good enough? Amazingly, the first layer does pretty much the same job as a new T-shirt. And when the second layer is added, of course, either one of them, new or the used one, they both were above 90% efficiency. efficiency. I think your study really tells us that we're going to have to start thinking differently about masks and, to some extent, airborne spread. It's not always going to be about that nano layer. We got that. We've done the electron microscopy. We know how it works. It's really about zooming out and looking at the larger picture, or in this case, droplet. And if that means that you can go ahead and use that old and used undershirt, then go for it. Although I still don't understand why anyone would do that. <laughs> no, that, that's a very good point because, you know, it's a whole different paradigm. So if we think in terms of, are we blocking 300 nanometer particles moving in dry air? No. You see, that's not gonna, that is not the question for COVID. So if we use two layers of uh, an old T-shirt, hoping that I'm going to block these 100 nanometer particles one by one or 300 nanometer particles one by one floating in air, it's not going to work. Why it is working is because we are not thinking of blocking airborne individual particles. We are talking about these particles are packed in droplets that are released by the infected individual. I mean, that is the major shift between how we think of masks until now and from now on. We've come to the end of the discussion. And now it's your turn to keep it going. We may not have hit all the mask topics you want covered. So now it's time for you to tell us what you want to know. Tweet me at JATetro or email me at thegermguy at gmail.com. Now... You can head over to speakpipe.com slash sass and post your question. We'll give you the answers next week. In the meantime, for Curious Cast, this is the Super Awesome Science Show. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It really does help spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and the link to Tahir Saif and his study. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Dila Velasquez is our story producer, and sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week, stay safe, wear that mask, and as always, make sure to show them some sass. <laughs>